You guys, I finally found the perfect song to play at my Tex-Mex Sex Fest. Listen. What you're hearing are the dulcet tones of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen singing their hit song, Pinata Party. I've found over the years that more than any artist, the Olsen twins put out music that really kind of speaks to me, but also helps me express my different desires and dreams. Like when my wife asks me on a Friday night, hey, what do you want? Uh, what do you want for dinner? I I immediately think of the uh, Mary Kate and Ashley song "Gimme Pizza," uh, and you know sometimes you know I've felt like the only way I can express that my true love of ice cream, like the only like people are like, why do you like ice cream so much, Matt? You're always talking about ice cream. Why do you just love ice cream? I, I usually go, you know what? It's it's. It's something I can barely express, but somehow Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen have, have put my thoughts about ice cream into a song, and that's called Ice Cream Crazy. And, you know, I really hated my brother growing up, just couldn't stand my brother, and I felt like Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen really got it, especially when I heard their song Brother for Sale. Like, they really got it. So Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen have been there for me over the years and continue to be there for me. And when I when I heard... Pinata party. I went, there it is. I mean, I've been trying to think up a theme for this party I have coming up. Pinatas. We're going to do pinatas. And the song just gets, it gets more and more inspirational as it goes on somehow. We can sit here if you prefer, but I'm a bit of an adventurer. So help me inside the furniture. Hey, everybody, grab I'm a little confused by this part because every time I've been at a party with a pinata, uh, we've never gotten into partners. You know, you typically it's it's a solo sport, really. I mean, you've got everybody cheering you on and you've got the person who spins you around. But I've never thought of them as my partner because, you know, they they usually spin everybody. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what. I'm not sure what the rules of this pinata party is yet. Maybe we need to listen to the song a little bit more. We can do the tango or a few pirouettes or we can do the fandango as long as we've got castanets. I want to go to a piñata party. Party, hardy. Okay, hold hold on. I think we're losing the the thread here. Now we're now we're dancing. I thought we were moving the furniture because we were going to string up the pinata and start whacking it. But it sounds like it sounds like we're moving the furniture and getting into partners because we're going to start dancing. Now, that's not exactly the kind of party I'm looking to uh I'm looking to put together here. In fact, I wouldn't call that a uh, pinata party. I'd call that a a dancing party or <laughs> or more commonly uh, as it's known in middle schools across America, a uh, a dance. A school dance. I'm not putting together a school dance, Olsen twins. This is a this is a pinata party for 
consenting adults. Uh, so, and also I, I get, if, if we're having sort of a, you know, sort of a South American themed event, I, I can get us doing the tango or, or the Fandango, uh, but a pirouette, isn't that like a, isn't that like a kind of difficult <laughs> ballet thing to do? I mean, maybe it's not difficult for ballerinas and pirouette might be pretty standard, but I'm I'm not sure how I'm not I'm not sure I want to see a bunch of my friends doing pirouettes, especially because they're not going to have smiles on their faces because uh, they're like, why aren't we doing the pinata yet? It's right over there. We just moved all the furniture, and Matt has us doing pirouettes all over the living room. <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned from watching Dance Moms is that you always you always got to have a smile on your face. Not the moms so much. The moms are usually have frown, frown frowny faces and they're yelling at each other calling each other bitches, but the girls are actually doing the work. You know, they get out, they have the big smile, big toothy grins. So, uh, I don't know to see a bunch of, um, sad, frankly, a majority of the people at my party will be men. Uh, frankly, seeing a bunch of sad men do pirouettes, uh, instead of whacking a, a pinata that doesn't, that doesn't spark joy in me. Have you ever heard that Genesis song, Illegal Alien, where Phil Collins sings in like a fakey Mexican accent? It's kind of offensive. That's what that part of the song reminds me of when uh, whatever Olsen twin it is goes, hit pinata with a stick. It's like, can, can we do a take two? I, I think maybe that was a take two. Like some some adult who should know better was in the booth and went, can we try that again? Just a little more Mexican. Bleh. You know, until this great song, I'd never heard of a pinata party. I knew kids had pinatas at their birthday parties. Or, you know, maybe you just have a random pinata, like a summer cookout. But I'd never heard of something called a pinata party. That would make me think you're, you're coming together just to, like, hit, you know, smack the pinata around. Maybe several pinatas. Like a whole, if you're going to have a party, a party's going to last a while. You're going to need a, a whole mess of pinatas. So I looked up what is a pinata party on Google and got nothing. Nothing. So I, I was starting to think maybe a pinata party is like a made up thing for an Olsen twins song. And I was like, oh, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that to me, Olsen twins, would you? Get me all about all excited about something that isn't real? Not the Olsen twins. The the young ladies who sing ice cream crazy? And then I turned to Urban Dictionary. And thank God, Urban Dictionary said, fret not, Matthew. A pinata, a pinata party's real. It's a real thing. And we're going to tell you what it is right now. So according to the Urban Dictionary, this is a pinata party. Pinata party. A pinata party 
is where a bunch of guys wrap a girl in a Mexican poncho and smack her in the face with their dicks. The game is over when she gets a nosebleed. And that definition was presented by user Special Dick Livery. And I want to apologize for reading that definition for Pinata Party. I want to apologize for not editing it out. Uh, but I want to say that that is very unfunny. <laughs> it's also stupid because, like, well, I mean... Never mind. <laughs> it's not that kind of show. Go to school, play it cool. All my friends are breaking rules. Take a test, do my best. They whisper in my ear. A or D on number three. They ask me for the answer, please. Tell them what they want to know or end up all alone. So this song is part of the bonus material on the Philips CDI video game, Moses, the Exodus. And it's a song called Moses and Me. And what it is equating here is cheating on a test with Moses's decision to part the Red Sea and lead the Jews to the promised land. So we have our, uh, our character in the song. He's like, oh, my friends, they're asking me to cheat on the big test. They're asking me for answers. I, you know, if I if I don't tell them the answers, I don't think they're going to be friends with me anymore. And ironically, the people asking him for the answers are actually not his friends. They're the school bullies. But uh, we find that out later. But they're, you know, it's test time. And I don't know where the teacher is. Maybe out taking a shit. But uh, all these bullies are like, hey, man, what did what, you get on number three? You know, very blatantly asking. And he's like, oh, I don't I don't know what to do. Do I give them the answers? Because if I do, they'll still be my friends, which they're not your friends. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot like when Moses was leading the Jews out of Egypt and they came to the Red Sea. How? How is it like that? <laughs> but uh, let's see what uh, let's see what this little wiener decides to do. So like Moses before him, our hero decides to hold up the staff of God. Not He doesn't have a physical staff that he holds up, uh, you know, to the bullies. It's not like he turns around and like holds this like Gandalf-like walking stick up and goes, You shall not cheat! Or anything like that. That'd be sweet, wouldn't it? That'd be cool. If some kid just stood up in class and was like, you shall not cheat. Maybe that wouldn't be, maybe my definition of cool is skewed. But uh, so, so I don't know. He the, the, Also, the kid, while he's taking his test, he's always got the Bible on his desk, which makes me feel like he's got the answers in there. Like he's cheating anyway. <laughs> like he's like, look, I'm going to cheat. 
I got a cheat sheet here in, in my Bible, but uh, I'm not going to like help other people cheat. I mean, cheat yourself if you're going to. No, but I, I don't. Maybe the maybe the Bible is the metaphorical staff in in this in this song, which is fine. But I still don't understand how. I guess they're saying Moses made the right choice. It was a scary choice. He was holding up a staff in front of, uh, you know, the Red Sea, and he's like, "This looks kind of goofy, but I'm going to do it, and hopefully the Lord's going to back me up here and part the Red Sea." And you know what happened. And so this kid's like, well, this might look kind of goofy, but I'm going to say don't cheat off me uh, because I studied and you didn't. And so so it falls apart. So I get, he's taking a stand like Moses, but I don't know. I, 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 put, the, uh, I put the win on Moses' side here. <laughs> like, like giving this kid kudos for, uh, you know, if he's going to compare himself to Moses, it's sort of it's sort of like everybody gets a trophy day. Like maybe like Moses like deserves like a like a hearty pat on the back, like a heavenly pat on the back. Like he really put it all out there. He's like, here goes nothing, lifted his staff up, Red Sea parts, everyone crosses, Red Sea drowns all the e- Egyptian uh you know, slave masters and b- bad guys. Uh Moses, uh that's pretty cool. That they make movies they make movies about that. Uh this kid, uh they made a <laughs> shitty little hidden <laughs> animated video on a on, on a uh, you know video game no one's ever played and can't play uh let's see what happens next though uh, after after this guy stands up and shoves the bible in the bully's faces and says this book told me not to cheat uh let's see how the bullies take that uh spoiler alert you might be surprised out of break feeling great took the test and passed here they come should i run should i have given in just in time, a friend of mine stands beside me in the line. There they go. Now I know I do it all again. And who's that friend standing next to him when the bullies approach our hero on the playground? It is the physical manifestation of Moses. It's Moses himself standing there with his big old staff, and he has the most pissed off look on his face. Like, like it's saying, like if you get any closer to this kid, I'm gonna smash your skulls to tiny pieces. Like I'm gonna break your heads, like like they're Humpty Dumpty being pushed off a garden wall. Like Moses looks like he's gonna go medieval on these bullies' asses, and the the bullies are like, "Whoa, hey man, we don't want we don't want any trouble here, old man," and they they like hightail it out of there. Is that, so is that the lesson of the song? Like, if you follow God's word and some bullies try to, uh, you know, mess with you in the playground, uh, God's going to send one of his, <laughs> one of his, one of his champions. He's going to, he's going to Street Fighter 2 ch- style, choose one of his champions and send, uh, send him or her to your aid in your time of need. Uh, and like, who would have thought that like, Moses would be so intimidating like he's huge he like towers over these bullies and he's got the big old like gnarled stick and you just know you just know he like can use it like and not only that not only can he use it like Donatello using a bow staff I mean it is imbued with the power of God in heaven you know it parted red seas it can like fucking part your body it can rip your body in half your little boy body in half and just tear your skeleton asunder so, uh, you know, if that's what the song is preaching, 
Uh, right on. I love it. But uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I still, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out what exactly this song uh, is saying. It's called Moses and Me. Should it be called Moses and Me and then parentheses are going to kick your ass? <laughs> pictures of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he was a baby and he and my mom could have been twins when they were little kids uh it's crazy <laughs> okay let's start the episode Well, it's officially summertime, and I couldn't be less happy. I hate the summer. It does not excite me. Uh, all it is, it's hot weather, and there's uh, there's no school, and I gotta I gotta do chores all day long. And my my parents are saying, "Get a job. It's summer. Get a summer job." It's just the worst. I hate it. The only thing that's ever made me happy about summer are uh, the, all the new summer movies. So what I've decided to do during this summer on Giant Electric Penguin is watch every movie, every single movie that has the word summer or summertime in the title in the hopes that doing so will get me in the summertime mood. So today is going to be the first edition of uh, looking at some of these summertime summer movies I've watched and so this is a little segment called Summer Movies. Alright. Alright, well let's get started with this new feature. I should say right at the top, I should give you a spoiler alert. You know, I'm going to spoil all of these movies. So if you hear, uh, you know, if you're not into that, if you're not into spoiled films, you know, you may want to just uh, move on. <laughs> but chances are, I mean, these are some pretty popular and famous uh, movies with summer or summertime in the titles. So you've probably seen all these movies and they've probably, if they've done their job, they've put you in a summery mood. That's what I'm looking for. I want to be in a summery mood. So the first film I watched was called Wet and Wild Summer, and it comes from 1992. And I should say right off the bat, when I pushed play on this movie, um, yeah, it's not called Wet and Wild Summer. Uh, the, the film's actual title is Exchange Lifeguards. Um, even though in the movie there's only one exchange lifeguard, and he's not even a real exchange lifeguard at that, but he's he, rather he's an imposter exchange lifeguard. Uh, also, exchange lifeguards is maybe the worst film title I've ever heard of in my life. 
Uh, it actually it flashes onto the screen during the opening credits, and it's accompanied by this, like, blazing early 90s hard rock guitar riff. Like, exchange lifeguards! Like, get ready, folks! And it's, it's like, it fills up the whole screen, and you really can't help but laugh, because what the, what the hell is an exchange lifeguard? Um, well, I'll tell you, because I know, I've watched the movie. It's pretty much an exchange lifeguard, and if you thought about it for a second, you know, you'd You'd say, oh, yeah, that's probably what that is. It's like it's like an exchange student, only it's a uh, it's a lifeguard. Uh, anyway, they renamed the film Wet and Wild Summer for American audiences, uh, despite the fact that while uh, there's plenty of wet, uh, the summer depicted on screen here is barely wild in any conceivable way. It's basically Wet and Wild Summer or Exchange Lifeguards, whatever you prefer. They're interchangeable. It's a raunchy sex comedy that forgot to have any jokes in it. And they also left out all the raunch. Uh, you know, bare bottoms and, you know, bouncy breasts, you know, do not a raunchy sex comedy make. Uh, I think I laughed. I think I clocked it. I laughed genuinely, like a genuine laugh, like something tickled me exactly once. And it was a, uh, there was, there's a dog in the movie who at one point is wearing a pair of sunglasses. And I thought that was pretty funny. It's also uh, very cute. Uh, Wet n' Wild Summer stars two-time Golden Raspberry winner Christopher Atkins, uh, Dr. Doom himself, Julian McMahon, and Hollywood legend Elliot Gould. Doesn't make any sense that Elliot Gould would be in this film, but his presence is... Uh, very appreciated. Bobby McCain, the son of billionaire property developer Mike McCain, flies to Australia posing in ex as an exchange lifeguard, the titular exchange lifeguard at Mullet Beach, in order to spy on the owner of a dilapidated beach club, a young woman named Julie. And uh, his father's company wants to purchase this uh, beach club and then bulldoze it to the ground to make way for this ugly McMansion-style resort. That's kind of what Bobby's dad does. And Bobby's dad, Mike McCain, is played by the aforementioned befuddled Elliot Gould. But he, yeah, he makes these awful, these terrible uh, resorts. In fact, in the beginning of the movie, they're in, a, uh, they're in what is clearly an office building. The establishing shot is an office building, and then there's kind of like a little cocktail party in the atrium of an office building, and yet, uh, when they start, you know, giving their obligatory speeches, it's, it becomes clear that they are opening a resort where people are supposed to come and, I guess, relax. It would be like, you know, if you work in an office environment and then you went on vacation and the resort you went to was like another office environment. <laughs> So, obviously, I think it was filmed there because probably it was cheap to just film in an office building during the weekend when everybody is at home. Like, oh, we can, we can film this place and say it's a, a resort. And uh, someone should have said, does this look like a resort to you? <laughs> uh, that's clearly what they did, but they worked it into the script uh, that this Mike McCain guy, this is his uh, stock and trade. He builds these ugly-ass McMansion-style um, corporate-looking resorts that no one in their right mind would ever want to stay at. But, uh, you know, he does good for himself. So, anyway. So, anyway, Bobby gets over to Australia, and he falls in love with um, Australia. He falls in love with the country. He falls in love with Julie, the woman he's supposed to be kind of 
you know, working his magic on and spying on. And uh, he also falls in love with the beach club's motley crew of goofy lifeguards. And so about halfway through the movie, he reveals who he really is. And that makes everybody mad for about 10 minutes. But then he goes, he decides, hey, man, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want my dad to buy this place and tear it down. I love Mullet Beach. Mullet Beach is the place to be. Um, it seems like a lot of wacky things would happen here with all you weirdos. It's, it's too bad none of it made it onto screen. But, oh boy, the things, the things you could think of in your mind that this wacky group could get into. Bobby joins the, uh, joins the Mullet Beach lifeguard uh, group because they he wants to help them win the annual life-saving championship and we'll talk more about that in a minute uh there's a subplot in which mike's wife and his second in command are trying to steal the company away from him but it's stupid uh there's another subplot about bobby meeting his mother who lives in australia and then there's a, there's another subplot which is probably my favorite because it goes absolutely nowhere but there's this guy who has uh sent without mike knowing this would be by by the second in command, there's another guy sent to Australia to spy on Bobby to make sure he stays on task. To make sure he doesn't fall in love with with uh, Australia and its wacky, wacky culture. Uh, clearly, the filmmakers either forgot about this guy or a lot of his stuff got cut out. Because he gets two very short scenes. And in those scenes, he gets to showcase his co comedic chops. Um, first, uh, there's one... There's one scene where I guess they mention, I think I, the guy's like, oh, don't worry, we got someone spying on Bobby. And then it goes to this guy just kind of fumbling around with his binoculars. It's like it's like a straight three minutes of him like trying to like comically figure out binoculars. Like, do I look in the big end? Oh, wait a minute, I look in the little. Oh, whoops, they're upside down. Like, that. That's the that's the extent of that bit. And then the other bit is at the very end of the movie, this guy who's been spying... He's so good at staying hidden and spying on this guy that you'd never see him on screen. <laughs> you see him and he he does some sort of uh, wacky shenanigans and he falls off a cliff. And uh, I hope I actually I hope he dies. We don't we don't get a clear idea of what happens. But I like to think he fell off the cliff, busted his head on some rocks and drowned. And he and maybe he was eaten by a shark or two sharks fought over his corpse, ripped it in half. <laughs> oh, I forgot to say that. Um. Wet and Wild Summer is a Christmas movie, uh, which I didn't know that until there's there's a moment where this guy dressed up as Santa Claus kind of just shuffles by, and I went, okay. <laughs> kind of took me out of the movie for a minute. Well, I mean, it distracted me from Reddit, which uh, you know, I was looking at during most of the film. I was, I was reading Reddit. But then when we actually get to the uh, end of the movie with the life-saving championships, uh, there's like a full-on Christmas tune playing when <laughs> at the at the uh, opening ceremonies uh but it does make sense uh because december is the beginning of australian summer so isn't that kind of weird to think about when you think about that like australians don't know what the fuck a white christmas is they'd be like white christmas what's that mate we celebrate christmas in summer we do <laughs> They turn Cockney halfway through their <laughs> Christmas discussion. <laughs> anyway, that's pretty much the movie. Um, at the end, uh, what's his name? Mike shows up. Uh, that's Elliot Gould. And he's like, I, you know, I, I don't want to build any more of these awful corporate looking retreats. I, I want to make a, a earth friendly. Um, I don't know. He wants to do something environmentally friendly that the town of Mullet Beach owns or whatever the fuck. I don't know. It's stupid. Anyway, at the end, everybody loves Bobby and his dad. And, uh, you know, the magic of Australian Christmas uh, changes everyone's hearts. 
this movie features maybe the worst kiss I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Bobby and Julie uh, have sex on the beach at one point. Like, actual intercourse. They're not enjoying the popular cocktail sex on the beach. They're actually getting down. And it's about as sexy as watching my cat dry heave. <laughs> this kissing they do. Oh, my God. I, I don't even know if it qualifies as kissing. Uh, Christopher Atkins kind of just rubs his lips all over Rebecca Carlton's lips. She she plays uh, Julie. It's really awkward. You know, hang on. This music is going to really distract. What the fuck? I'm going to turn that all the way down. All right. Okay. Enough of that surf music. It's adding nothing. You probably can't even hear it. I can hear it. It's all I can hear. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Bobby and Julie are completely naked. That's that's a lot of fun. Uh, their beautiful bronze skin is glowing in the moonlight. But uh, somehow the whole scene is it, just weird. It's like grown adults. I, I don't know flopping around like fish on the beach. It's not sexy. In a movie that really promises the sex. I mean, from the opening credits, you know, you know, exchange lifeguards. And then there's a there's a like big naked pair of tits right in your face and it's like starring Christopher Atkins. Ooh, there's a there's two ladies and a thong. You know, and then it then you get the least sexy thing in the whole world. Anyway, I guess what you've really been waiting for uh, is to hear about the life-saving championships. I mean, I, I bet you can guess who wins. Um, you know, take a wild guess as to who wins. But I did want to say there are, there are three different events in the life-saving championships. that These are a big deal every year, these different beach clubs uh, throughout Australia. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's a thing. But in this movie, uh, the different beach clubs around Australia... Uh, this is like their. This is the. This is the big. This is the big time. This is when the places really shine because they can win money, and it's almost like if the Mullet Beach crew, like they're like a crew of losers or whatever, you know, lovable losers. It's almost like if they lose this, they're gonna lose. Like they're gonna lose the money, and then they're gonna have to shut Mullet Beach down or some shit. And like Mullet Beach, the 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 place isn't very nice. Uh, it's next to a nude beach. <laughs> I wonder why. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's like a crummy, shitty place. And, and like the lifeguards live there and everything. And like this party house, it's weird. It, it, it might be Australian culture. It might just be made up. Who knows? None of us here in America know about it, I'm sure. But anyway, the life-saving championship. Here's, here, here are the three events. This is, and this is not a joke. Uh, the first event is a, uh, is a pillow fight. The, um. Each party, each each uh, each um, team picks some one of their one of their uh, trained lifeguards to uh, to engage in a pillow fight on the beach, and then uh, that's a pillow fight. Is the first event. The second event of the life saving championships. It's important that I keep reminding you these are called the life saving championships. Um, this is this is called uh, basically this event is called boat rowing. And uh, four, four of your lifeguards, you run out into the ocean and you, you row your boat out into the ocean a little bit and then you, and you, then you row it back and then uh, that's, that's the end of that uh, event. That's boat rowing. You just row a little ways out and then, you, and, then you, and, then you, and then you row back in. And then finally in the life-saving championships, this is uh, round three, event three, I, I called it, I don't know what the official name was, but I call it Swim, Run, Swim, Run. And, 
And basically, in swim run, swim run, swim run, uh, you swim out into the ocean a little bit. This is you pick you pick the best on your team to do this, uh, and the person swims out into the ocean a little bit, and then they and then they swim back. Then they run on the beach around a little track. Then they then they swim out in the ocean just a little bit more, and then uh, then they come back from swimming in the ocean a little bit, and they and then they run around that track again. And uh, the first person to cross the finish line uh, wins the life-saving championship. Uh, there's no life-saving themed events uh, at all. So that, so that's that. And all this takes place on Australian Christmas. <laughs> uh, so what I want to do after I talked about each one of these movies, I wanted to uh, see how much it hyped, hyped me up for summer. Uh, you know, from one to ten, uh, one being, eh, I'm still, I'm still, you know, down on summer. But summer's a bummer. Is would be one, and the, to ten, which is like, yeah, let me at summer. I want to grab summer by the by the balls and and swing into summer. Well, uh, exchange lifeguards or wet and wild summer. Uh, I I put that at a three. It it actually hyped me up a little bit more for Australian Christmas than it did for American summer. All that talk about Australian Christmas made me uh, want some more Christmas-themed summertime fun. So I found a movie from 2010 called Summertime Christmas. I mean, that sounds exactly what the doctor ordered as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. Uh, I really went into it not knowing anything uh, about it, just assumed it was about Christmas and summertime. And so uh, here's a little bit about what uh, Summertime Christmas is about. Uh, all the world leaders have gotten together to weaken the power that parents all over the globe have over their children. Now that good old-fashioned discipline is discouraged, the planet's children have resorted to naughtiness in epic numbers, numbers that are rising higher each day. So uh, naturally, Santa Claus, the Santa Claus, is concerned. So he sends a message to all his elves out in the field to do everything in their limited power to turn the tide against naughtiness or else, sadly, Christmas uh, is going to be canceled. That's right, Chris Kringle is going to pull the plug on Christmas unless all the children in the world can get their acts together. So that's basically the world that this uh, film exists within. Uh, so now, now we get into what's actually the, the kind of the meat and potatoes of the, which sounds like a really great Christmas meal, doesn't it? Meat and potatoes. Uh, <laughs> let's get down. Let's get into the cr real Christmas feast of what this movie's about. Uh, the movie itself focuses on uh, two elves, Elwood and Nora, who are visiting rural Ohio for reasons that uh, were never made clear to me. They befriend a girl named Jessica, whose parents are on the very brink of divorce. She's beside herself. Jessica doesn't know what to do. They meet, uh, Elwood and Nora meet her at the public pool, where she's very quick to talk about her, her parents' marital troubles to two kind of weird strangers. <laughs> who, who are clearly from out of town. Because everybody in this town, what's this town called? I can't remember. It's, it's. It's called like Silver Wells, Silver Wells, Ohio. It's a really small kind of shitty town where the local factory has shut down. I don't know what they produced at the factory. No idea. 
But pretty much everybody in town worked at this factory, and now everybody is out of work. So they're all mad at each other, and they're all they all they're all fighting all the time. And then and then you know they can't blow off any steam, you know, beating their kids because the uh, you know the UN has gotten together to say, hey, you know, kids are off limits, pal. You can't. Not only can you not tell your kids to go out and pick a switch, you can't give them a little swat on the behind when they uh, when they talk back to you. Uh, you can't even look at them funny, or uh, you're going to jail. So uh, everybody's real. Every everything's real tense in. Uh, I would assume everywhere, but we're we're here in Silver Wells, Ohio. So anyway, uh, Jessica is telling Elwood her her woes. Her parent. Oh, I don't think my parents are going to make it. And Elwood kind of just looks at her and is like, "Well, uh, hmm. I mean, why don't you just try celebrating Christmas?" And Jessica's like, "Celebrating Christmas, but it's summertime." Are you crazy? And uh, Elwood's like, maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Do I look crazy? A spoiler alert. He does look like a crazy person. <laughs> Jessica doesn't think so. She goes, you know, you know what, weirdo? I just met at the at the pool. Uh, I think you're right. I think if my family committed to celebrating Christmas full on, I mean, decorate a uh, house with lights put up a put up a christmas tree. I mean, we're going to go all in on this. I think if we went all in on a summertime christmas, my parents might remember how much they love each other and not get divorced. So, yeah, they do it. Jessica brings up the concept of uh celebrating christmas in summertime. Jessica's parents are totally into it. They're so into it after everyone kind of exchanges homemade presents. Uh, Jessica's parents basically like start uh, going at it in front of their daughter. You know, the power of Christmas. Am I right? <laughs> Can take you from the brink, the brink of divorce to, uh, to the, to the idea of maybe getting a little too, uh, sexed up in front of your uh, children. Uh, this movie, uh, summertime Christmas now is what we're talking about. Uh, it has uh, way too much time on its hands. The thing is nearly two hours long, and it loses focus on a scene-by-scene basis. Uh, Elwood and Nora are mistaken for husband and wife by the owner of the bed and breakfast they're staying in, despite the fact uh, that they both look to be about 14 years old. But, uh, you know, we are this. the movie takes place, like I said, in bumfuck Ohio, so maybe that's perfectly acceptable, 14-year-olds being married. Uh, let's see, other things that happen. It just seems like a lot of things happen at random. Uh, Elwood rents a car at some point, and it's a just a painfully unfunny scene that just isn't unending. Uh, let's see. Oh, the uh, the elves take Jessica. Her, her parents are completely okay with uh, the elves taking Jessica out for like a day trip. I think it's probably because since uh, they had the idea of summertime Christmas and that really horned them up, <laughs> just got just got those juices flowing again. Uh, then they're like, "Yeah, fine, get the kid out of here." I, I don't, we don't care where you take her. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, Elwood rents that car, and the elves and Jessica they take a tour of the of a very a very real place. It's the Velvet Ice Cream Museum in Utica, Ohio, and it actually seems uh, really cool. It's like it seems like an old like it's like an old mill. There's like a working like water wheel and things like that. 
it actually, I thought about, oh man, that would have been cool if we could have you know, taken a detour to check that out when we were in Michigan, but it's about four hours. It would have been like a four hour side trip to uh, go to the Velvet Ice Cream Museum. So maybe, you know, fingers crossed, maybe someday I'll take my family to the Velvet Ice Cream Museum in Utica, but it looks pretty cool. You know, I've been to the Turkey Hill ice cream thing in uh, Pennsylvania, so, and, you know, you got to make your own flavor of ice cream and everything like that. So, I, you know, I've already done something like this, but I don't know. Something about a water wheel that really gets my juices flowing, gets me horned up. <laughs> uh, we do get a little bit, uh, we get a few glimpses of the rampant naughtiness that Santa was so uh, crossed up about in the beginning of the film. But it doesn't really seem like a huge deal because there's all this other bullshit going on. Uh, and it's not like it's like children of the corn, you know, in the streets of silver wells. They're not like rising up against their their adult oppressors, uh, locking them in the in the local diner and stabbing them all to death. Uh, it's mostly a lot of egg based mischief. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of eggs being thrown at houses. Um, but we do kind of get a glimpse of what this new world order would wants uh, when we see this woman. She's almost a, you know her, her kids being a little puke. I think he like pushes his sister and the mom's like, oh man, that kid needs a swat on his, on his little, on his little butt. And, uh, but there's a cop nearby and he kind of stares at her like, what are you thinking about? You make, make a move. He's got his hand on his, on his, uh, on his taser. He's like, make a move, bitch. And, uh, she, she decides not to, uh, discipline her child in front of the policeman as a, a sad version of silent night plays on the soundtrack. Cause it's very sad that, uh, we're no longer allowed to beat our children in Silver Wells, Ohio. <laughs> um, yeah, like, you know, like I said, summertime Christmas, it's two hours long, and it's not happy with having just one kind of straightforward plot. It wants it wants all the plots. It's like it's like evil grimace gathering up all the uh, all the plots. Uh, there's a there's a thing about a Christmas pageant at some point that Jessica wants to um, you know, she's like she's not content with just helping her family out with Christmas. She wants to help the whole, the whole town of silver wells out. And the best thing she can think of is a Christmas pageant, but all the kids quit when they find out it's going to be pretty like Jesus centric. Uh, there's not going to be Santa or reindeers in it. So they're all kind of like, yeah, whatever. And, the, and then meanwhile, Elwood uh, decides, Oh, you know, I've been working for hundreds of years. Yeah. These two elves are like in their like five hundreds. Uh, he's been working for years, uh, making this magic berry or something. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. <laughs> the berry tastes like Christmas. That's what everyone says when they, when they, uh, uh, eat one. And I, you know, I don't know what that means. Could you be any more vague? Uh, but he decides he's going to give this magic berry to the town of, um, Silverwells. And that's going to bring back all the jobs. The, now they're going to have a berry factory. <laughs> Reopen, reopen the factory. Get all the smokestacks going. Uh, we're going to grow us some berries. So they're going to grow uh, berries that, that taste like Christmas. There's a, there's a huge market for that, I guess. Uh, and then meanwhile, oh, then, then there's some, some of these little, uh, little jerk-offs break into the church one night, and they trash it just for fun until their uh, ringleader trips over a cross and uh, breaks his leg. So he gets a little heavenly justice in there. It's sort of like Jesus sticking his foot out and tripping you when you're walking uh, walking down the aisle of the church there. Um, 
And that kid, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess he breaks his leg. And then like this lady who's at the church comes out and is like, oh, you tripped over the cross and, uh, you know, you broke your leg and, uh, let's, let's get the ambulance here to take you to the hospital. And while we're waiting, I'm going to tell you about the Bible. And that's when you kind of realize, uh, you're watching a faith-based movie and whoopsie. Nah, it's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, I wish it was kind of a little clearer from the start. Uh, but you know, they draw you in with all these great, exciting plots. And, uh, by the time you realize you're being preached at, uh, you gotta find out what happens. Uh, let's see. Oh, in the end though, all the kids, uh, I guess they feel bad about trashing the church. So they all come back to star in Jessica's pageant and you get to see the Christmas pageant, which is the classic Christian Christmas story. Jesus born in Bethlehem. The uh, three wise men, the the uh, angels that we've heard on high, all the all the classics. You get to see that pageant uh, in real time. They actually perform the entire Christmas pageant. Um, uh, and, and it's it's not edited to show us the highlights. It's actually like a like a like a play within a play. And uh, I'm not gonna lie, I fast forwarded through it. <laughs> this movie's long. This only makes it longer. But once you star in a uh, summertime Christmas pageant, you get to be on Santa's nice list. Uh, oh, and also Elwood and Nora finally admit their very chaste admiration for one another, and they learn about Jesus. Now, that, that was kind of interesting to me, because uh, these two elves, when, when all the Jesus talk starts, they are super, super confused. And I was like, why... Why didn't Santa ever teach his elves about Jesus? Because Santa shows up at the end of the movie. I know Santa in summertime, that's wild. Who, who would ever think that Santa would leave his house in summertime? Uh, but he does. He's on his way to a very important meeting that we'll get to. But he stops by Silver Wells, I guess, to check out this uh, Christmas pageant that, that's been all the talk all over the planet. But Santa shows up at the end and he he's acting like he's talking like he and Jesus are like best buddies. <laughs> like, like they hang out. They know each other. Um, you know, they go on fishing trips, whatever. They hang out when the wives are out of town. Uh, but but he never mentioned like salvation to the elves. It seems kind of like <laughs> it doesn't seem right. Uh, anyway, after Santa, you know, brags about being friends with Jesus and everything and also, you know, says you know, gives Elwood and uh, the other the other one, um, Nora, tells him what a good job they did. He goes off to his meeting, and uh, what he, what he's done is he's he's taking a meeting with all of the world's leaders that uh, he he wants to discuss what's happening with all this naughtiness. So he gets all the world leaders together, except sorry. Uh, this movie's budget is blown, so he meets with one guy, <laughs> Santa, and uh, this dude uh, from Alaska. It's the UN representative from Alaska. They meet up in an empty boardroom, and Santa makes a lot of very angry threats. Uh, he's very, he's very, uh, he's very angry. He's a little disheveled. He's a little scary. I wouldn't fuck with this Santa. This is a this is a scary depiction of Santa. This is Santa as like an angry old man. Like a get off my lawn, old man. But really, what he, what he's trying to do is he's really, he's he's really trying to drive it home how like if we let these little pukes uh, throw eggs everywhere, 
and, uh, you know, push their sister at the park, uh, you know, there's the naughty list is just gonna, it's, it's, it's gonna be insanely, uh, it's just, the naughty list is gonna be too big to, to even, to, to even put in your pocket. <laughs> and I assume Santa has a magic pocket that can fit a very, very big list. Anyway, that's, uh, that's summertime Christmas or Christmas summertime. What's this, <laughs> what's this movie called? <laughs> Uh, did it get me hyped for summer? My, uh, uh, I gave that a one. Uh, I definitely got hyped for ice cream. I definitely want to take a tour of that velvet ice cream museum, but this movie actually made me hate summer more than ever. So it had the opposite effect that I'm looking for with this, with this new, uh, thing I'm doing. Uh, did it have me, did it get me hyped for Christmas though? Uh, no, it did not. I gave it a one uh, with that as well. Uh, Australian Christmas seems uh, so much cooler and a whole lot more sexy. So. They only sent one of you. I'm sorry, sir. I'm all that could be spared. It's a pleasure to finally meet you, Mr. Claus. And what is your position, young man? I'm the junior representative from the state of Alaska. I remember many years ago when I requested a meeting. The room was bursting full of important world leaders. I'm sorry, sir. to say so just send along this message i want to go to a pinata party party hardy sing and dance at a pinata party till they tell us to go home well that's this week's episode of giant electric penguin still hate summer i'm miserable Hopefully uh, some more of these summer movies will lift my spirits and your spirits as well. You can send us an email if you want. The email address is giantpengipodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram. It's giantpengipodcast there as well. Join us next week, won't you? For more fun and excitement. Bye.